first month, I was doing great. You know, I connected with people I hadn't connected with in a while. There was a lot of prospects. There was a lot of talk. Well, talk doesn't pay the bills. And then the thing that you dread in the design world where someone's like, oh, yeah, we don't have funding for this anymore. And so to get that news on the same day that my daughter needed braces and the hot water heater went out, I was like, I need a job right now. Welcome to the Work From Home Forever podcast. On today's episode, we've got Brian. Brian is a creative thinker, and Brian, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I've been self-employed now for uh, actually going into the eighth year, officially. There was a small time, good six months, where I got to learn a lot and crash horribly into the ground and then have to get a full-time job again before starting up you know, full-time back at the house. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of come from a, a, a different kind of wandering path background of a fine arts degree that I got in college, uh, focused in the visual arts, drawing and painting, illustrating. I uh, came out of school and, and uh, started actually as a um, doing manual labor, labor uh, pulling chain link fence before I could get a design job at, uh, at Nike. And so that's where I kind of started my career, kind of cut my teeth and learned a lot about the design industry there. And then after about six years of working there, moved into the uh, pretty fruitful market of uh, design agencies here in Portland, Oregon, and kind of spent my time running through those agencies, picking up things that were what I would kind of classify as multidisciplinary. So not just being one kind of designer, but being kind of integrated in several different kinds from 2D to 3D identities to fixtures to you know events to customization. So really got a, a, a kind of a broad skill set that I found became increasingly more difficult to get into uh, the kind of typical uh, job description. You, you know, it's like people who I would go out to and reach out to, you know, applying for jobs were just looking for, you know, one skill set type thing. And so by virtue of, of working in a couple places that I didn't necessarily want to be uh, agency-wise, I kind of came to the realization that, you know, I'd be better served kind of going out of my own, working from home, and being able to do everything that I wanted instead of just kind of, you know, parsing the list down to just one or two things. And so, you know, seven years later and going on number eight, uh, it's been great. So, I, you know, was able to kind of navigate through uh the pandemic and everything else, just like everybody else was, but having the agility and the kind of flexibility to be able to kind of change what I was working on through that really kind of gave me the opportunity to to keep moving forward and trying to kind of help supplement, you know, places that needed design help at the same time as, uh, you know, some houses were, you know, bringing everything internal and just had very small tidbits that they needed help on. But being a, a one man design shop, kind of allowed me to, to jump through and kind of keep working through everything. So it was really kind of a, it, we, <laughs> we definitely felt blessed to kind of be able to keep moving and keep working when so many other people were going through so many hard times that uh, we were able to kind of just kind of keep on grinding along. And it was kind of fortunate that I had started working from home uh, probably, you know, two, three years before the pandemic started. So it was like, you know, when everybody else was losing their minds going, oh, I got to work from home and everything like that. It's like, ah, welcome to the party. We've been doing this for a while. So it's nice that you guys had your systems in place uh, ready for the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So 
So, Brian, on the survey you completed for us, you said work from home gave you the freedom to pick and choose projects without having to conform to the narrative of companies that didn't necessarily align with you. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I, I think what it was is that, you know, everybody has their, their kind of work journey type thing. And I think that, that my journey was was kind of interacting with these agencies that were here in town that they are specialized because, they, you know, each of them kind of had a, a what's called a superpower that they would kind of chase down. So I was kind of able to glean a, a different kind of skill set, a different perspective off of each of those. And, you know, some just kind of came to a natural end as jobs do. Others kind of came to a, you know, one of those wonderful crossroads that we all kind of come across in our professions where we're like, wow, I'm not getting paid enough and I'm doing all this work and I need to find greener pastures. And then you get to the greener pasture and realize that the same problems exist there just for you know, different people owners and stuff. And so I think that, uh, you know, I, I think learning on each of those steps, you know, when I was a creative director, my, my favorite thing to ask uh, people that I was interviewing was uh, what was the best thing you learned from your worst job? And I, I think that's kind of a drive that I've always had is, you know, you, you take these steps along the way and you kind of realize what makes you work well, what makes you work at your fullest capacity and what shuts you down. And it's like the, the places that just kind of have a foot on your throat the entire time. If you can take something positive out of that, then it allows you to kind of take a, a situation and go, okay, well, it may be bad, but I know that I've got this going for me. And so I think that the, the working for myself almost like was the natural next step because I found that, you know, as I was kind of stepping out of the, the active design role, which is something that I pretty much always had to a certain degree, but was having to get more into that, you know, managerial director level type thing that, that, that was the thing that I missed the most. And I think when you get to that level of being a, a manager or being a director, that kind of upper level, you have to almost walk lockstep with the owners or the presidents of companies. And if there's a, a misalignment of character, integrity, anything like that, that's what I found held me back from staying in that world is that, you know, when, when the, the, the vision of the company or the, the, the way that people are treated or anything like that didn't align, even if the work was good, I had problems with it because I knew that I had that, you know, it was not just my name on the line. It was also the, the people that I was basically managing, you know, my, my designers were falling under this. And so it's like, I became like the shield or tried to as much as possible to try and keep them kind of moving forward at the same time as kind of having a work environment that would be more modeled after probably what I have now. So, you know, it, it was like this interjection of, of who I am as a person kind of conflicting with, you know, probably this uh, kind of cutthroat business type thing that I really don't have. And so I think that when I did kind of transition into working for myself, I was able to kind of institute more of that, you know, character into everything that I do so that, you know, it's, it's really business run the way that I would run a business, which, you know, isn't going to roll millions and millions of dollars, but I can sleep at night. So that's good. So. Yeah. I'm a strong believer that the company culture starts at the top. It starts with leadership. And if you're in an environment where you cannot be trusted or you're not treated like a professional, it's really overbearing if you will i don't know if that's the right term for it but it's it's really difficult to feel like a part of the team if you're not being valued as a professional and treated as a professional so 
I definitely understand. I've seen those environments where I think they can be called toxic. And good for you for finding out what works best for you and continue to growing and thrive your thrive in that career. Yeah, there's a a great book out there called Rework. And if you haven't read it, I suggest you do. It was it was an island of sanity for me in, in one of my more difficult roles because it was kind of like I had this approach at that time. I, I had a team of designers working for me. And, you know, I, I believed in my whole heart that, that it's just like you're being hired as a professional. So I, I don't have to be a professional babysitter. So it was, it was this kind of trust that I had in everybody that I worked with that they were going to do the job they were going to do. And I was going to make an environment in which they could do the job and then go home at night. You know, the, the HR people that I used to work with used to hate working with me because when I would onboard someone, I would tell them, look, I don't expect you to win the Lifetime Achievement Award if you don't want to. But while you're here, let's let's make an environment that's going to be productive for both you and me. And then when it's time to leave, let's figure out a way to do that so that everybody leaves on good terms. Because I think that the, the people element is way more important than the content of the work. Because I think that when you build an environment for people to thrive, then the work kind of comes intuitively. And so, you know, I, I think that that's the thing that I've really tried to kind of push towards is, is really working with people that align with that, that, that understand that there's not just boundaries, but it's like, you know, hey, let's challenge each other. Let's disagree on things, but let's find an amicable solution that makes the most sense, that hits all the, the targets and, you know, not, not only makes them as a client looks good, but also makes, you know, myself look good for kind of being the, the catalyst to kind of get them there. So Brian, I, I get the sense that you are definitely a people first uh, type manager. Uh, you're the type that builds a team, lifts up a team and and rallies a team. So good for you to, to, to kind of rise above that type of environment where people were stifled and not supported. And as a leader, you, you can control how your team is perceived and viewed. So great job to you on that. And I'm, I'm sure uh, you've mentored plenty of folks and helped further some careers. Yeah, absolutely. And in that book, uh, Rework, and they also have a follow-up called Remote, which again, both recommend reading. Um, but in Rework, the, the one thing that I, I did love that they, they said in there is that the, the culture of a, of a a work organization is the patina. It's not the saying that they put on the wall because, you know, we've all worked for people who, you know, put the wonderful phrases on the wall and stuff like that. They're that just meant to be rah-rah and stuff like that. Meanwhile, everybody's grumbling under their breath and be like, oh, that's not the way it is at all, you know? And so I think that, that, that characterizing it as a patina is, you know, on its worst day, you could walk up to somebody and be like, hey, what's this company all about? Their answer, that, that's what the company is. You know, so it's like, you know, that's the same thing as, as the, the question that I asked, you know, it's, it's hey, on, on the worst day, what's the best thing you can take away from it? And if one of my designers were to say, I got a great team, then I've done my job because, you know, then I've created an environment that, yeah, works work. You know, that's why they call it work. And but, you know, the people around me are here to support me and also kind of get the best out of me that I can give. Thanks, Brian. So I think the. Patina concept is something that I'm not familiar with, um, but I think as having worked in different corporate cultures in the past, you certainly want people to buy into the organization and not just the words, like you said, that's splattered on 
the corporate Absolutely. offices. Um, so that's uh, that's good feedback. One of the things that um, is curious to me is for someone that has been in corporate world and, and going out on their own, did you set metrics or milestones for yourself in the early days of the business to decide if you wanted to keep going on your own or go back to a W-2 job? Yeah. So it's interesting because even when I was working full time, I was doing freelance. And so, uh, you know, a wise man would have sent metrics. Um, you know, a smart person would have had milestones and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mine was more kind of based on uh, providing for the family. You know, it's like it, it, I I have to. <laughs> I'm, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a typical designer where it's like you know the numbers don't come super easy to me. So it's like one of those things that I have to boil down to a very easy number, which is you know how much is it to keep the lights on, how much is it to keep the mortgage paid, and how much is it to keep the family fed. You know, so it, it's like that. That's my metric was how much do I need to make a month to keep that going, and if I could do that for this month, then we'll do it for next month. If I could, if I can get two months ahead, then we'll keep it going for the third month, and and that's kind of how it was for the first, you know, three years of it. Like I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, was that there was a short six month stint where I basically kind of reached the end of my, <laughs> end of my rope at one of the agencies, and I was just like, you know, I, I remember vividly sitting on the end of the bed, and my wife came in, she's like, just quit, and which was something that that I never did. I I don't quit things. And so I needed, you know, to understand what was next. And what she was basically saying is, is just call it a day with these people, find your happiness, you know, try it, give it a run. We've always talked about it. Give it a run, try it on your own, see what happens. And so I tried it for six months and learned more in that six months about the business. You know, and it's like you talk about the trade-offs. It's the first Friday that you hit that you don't have a paycheck being direct deposited into your bank account. You're like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> you know, that you're just like, Where's it coming from? You, you know, and so during that six months, it, things started on a trajectory that were fantastic, and I didn't prepare the way I probably should have. You, you know, where the thought goes in, where you know, and, and you hear people say, "Well, you should have six to eight months of your salary saved up before you make the jump," and I was like, "Ah, I can make it up." And first month, I was doing great. You know, I, I had connected with people I hadn't connected with in a while. There was a lot of prospects. There was a lot of talk. Well, talk doesn't pay the bills. And then, I, you know, landed a huge job, which was great because it would have that that number that I was talking about, about, you know, paying the mortgage, covered, done, good to go. And then it's then it it hit the thing that you you dread in the design world where someone's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're not interested in doing this anymore. Oh, yeah, we don't have funding for this anymore. And so to get that news on the same day that my daughter needed braces and the hot water heater went out, I was like, I need a job right now. <laughs> you know, it was it was kind of like, you know, taking the polar plunge and going running out into the middle of the lake and just like jumping in and being like, nope, 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 not, not going to do that. So, you know, that, that was, that was kind of my first experience with it was going out and not necessarily failing, but certainly tripping you know, along the way and, and getting to the point where it was like, okay, we need to to plan a little bit more ahead in order to get this so that, you know, when that job drops, when that client doesn't call back, when it's a, a net 30 pay and they take 90, we're not sitting here going, okay, everybody's got PB&Js for the next six days and we're only eating twice, you know? So, I mean, it, it's, so the, there is a certain amount of, you know, the the 
it's it's funny being this far removed. I, I I call myself an outdoor cat now, especially you know talking to friends who are, are working still at you know corporations or wherever. That I'm just like I, I don't think I could return to it just because I'm so used to the hustle that that sense of urgency that you kind of get when you're self-employed. For that exact reason, you, you know, even when you have a, a stellar month that you're just like, well, I've, I've just covered this. For, you know, the next day you're like, I got to get back at it. You know, where's the next job coming from? So that kind of off switch that I was talking about, that's one of the, the, the kind of things that you kind of, you know, or at least I roll with from time to time, you know, especially, you know, being in the house. I was in the office at four o'clock this morning, you know, just because I woke up at three forty-five, going, oh yeah, I got that thing I can get done. And I got that thing I can get done because I got to do those other two things. And I've got my lunch meeting and I've got this call and I'm like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, get it off my mind. I'll just get up and do it now. And that happens a lot, you know? So it, it's like, um, depending on your personality, you know, there has to be a, a buffer space. There has to be a zone where you can walk away from it and be like, okay, this is the no work zone. My phone doesn't follow me in here. I'm going to play PlayStation for an hour and not feel guilty about it. I'm going to, you know, go for a walk, go for a run, do any of that kind of stuff, not feel guilty about it. Um, but I'll tell you this much that during the pandemic, that was the toughest thing. And, and that was one of those things that uh, just going through and, you know, I, I did say that the great thing about being able to pick and choose jobs during the pandemic, there was not that choice because literally didn't know where things were coming from. And so it was like, you know, things were coming in that were, if I'm used to taking jobs at a certain level, this was like, you know, pennies on the dollar. And I was just like, yep, I'll do it. Great. Let's do it. And so it's like, I, I had a tough time, especially with my artwork, because the time spent that I would go out and I would paint or I would draw or create or do any of that kind of stuff during that time when it was in a crunch, it became very difficult for me to rationalize that because that was, that was basically billable hours that I was spending. I'm like, okay, so am I getting enough out of this? You know, standing away from the, the, the spiritual side of, of the creative process and everything like that, just the monetary side of it was, was something to definitely wrestle with was like, okay, if I'm taking this, you know, two hours to go out here and paint, am I making the money that I could be making if I was on the computer and I was designing a, a logo or doing, you know, a space or doing anything like that. So it was, it was a, an interesting kind of uh, mental Olympics to get through that whole thing. You know, Brian, I, I have a lot of respect for what you just talked about there. The It embodies the whole idea of hustle culture. And I know, I think some folks maybe view that negatively where you're, you're grinding too much, you're working too hard. But if you take a look at it from the perspective that you are your own company and you take pride in what you do and you've got to take a look at trade-offs, your time is, to your point, billable hours. And in times of crunch, like the pandemic, for example, like you highlighted, you've got to make those tough choices. We can't always have the luxury of doing what we want to do. And sometimes we just have to do what we have to do. To your point, put food on the table and make sure that uh, the household's running. So yeah. good for you. No, no, yeah. I think I get what you're saying. And yeah, I, I think it is. I, I think that definitely one of the, the positives of self-employment, you know, it, it, all right, I'll, I'll go on a small tangent here. So I apologize. Um, I, when I was a kid uh, growing up during the summers, I, I worked a ton of jobs. You know, I, I would work, I, I would uh, grew up in a, a rural part of central New York. 
and you know we would go in the mornings and bale hay you know while it was still cool and stuff like that and at seven o'clock i would start mowing lawns at the school across the street because that's where the school was right across the street and then i would wash dishes at a restaurant at the end of every day when i would get my paycheck or at the end of every week when i would get my paycheck i could look back on it and be like but there we go there it is you know because i i knew that the work that i was putting in there it was captured in a paycheck that i was just like there it is i mean boiling it down even one step further when i used to mow lawns you know you get a big tractor and stuff like that I and mean, it was the ultimate job for a you know teenager because i'd go out there get tan and be on a mower and then at the end of the day you know like, the end of the day was 3 30. You, you know it's it fantastic but anyway you could look at the end of the day and you look back at the, the grass you just mowed and you saw you mowed it and i think that that idea of the hustle for me is the more that i can crank the more that I can get done, the more that people will then turn to me to do more. And I think that becomes the moniker for, you know, that which I do now. And I also think that's why I don't have any employees and never will is because I would never hold somebody to the same standard that I do. <laughs> you know, like I would, I would have a, a very difficult time rationalizing someone that I was paying and being like, yeah, well, I was in the office this morning at 345. What were you doing? Sleeping? I mean, <laughs> you know, that's totally not fair at all. And, and so I think that, that, you know, to go through and be like, hey, um, the more I hustle, the more that I'm able to, to kind of generate more work off of being a go-to resource for people is super important to me. And I think that's where this lifestyle works really well for me is that I can work fast and I can be, you know, still working while I'm not working. But if I want to walk into the office and crank out a bunch of t-shirt designs, you know, I can do it, you know, but then I... I pass that to the client, and then it becomes monetized through the work that's done from there. And so I think that, that for me, I think that's the allure to this whole kind of craziness is that, yeah, you know, stepping away isn't great. You know, having to kind of schedule, you know, let's call it playtime, you know, going out and having lunch with people and stuff like that for socializing. And also, you know, from the sanity of my wife, who also works from home, you, you know, it's just like having that time where we're away. So it's not like every experience is, is literally standing on top of each other is super important, you, you know, where it's just like, OK, let's go out and let's experience things. And then let's be able to talk about it like we were working, but we're both working within basically the same space. You know, Brian, a lot of those experiences that you talked about in your early career, I mean, those are some physical jobs, you know, working on a farm mowing lawns i mean that's hard on the body and i think it really helped shape your perspective and work ethic how has your approach changed when you transitioned from that physical manual work to working at a desk creating um, there's not really a set output i mean you could see the designs and everything but it's not like you can see the the rows of freshly mowed grass that you talked about. So how did you carry that that work ethic over from that manual labor to, you know, uh, working in a, you know, office type job? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think that the, I always kind of preach to, to younger designers I, I mentor and everything like that is this idea of perspective. And I think perspective is a, a huge, like powerful entity that, that kind of uh, some people will turn a blind eye to, but when you kind of open yourself up to this idea of perspective, it, it's, it can really be a fascinating tool for understanding why you do what you do. Um, you know, cause like I said, when I was you know, fresh out of college and having to pull chain link fence, you know, doing manual labor, 
waiting for that first kind of entry level design job. Um, when I when I finally got it, I kind of kept that same work ethic of you know blue collar, get up, get the job done, be done at the end of the day. And I would do that within an office setting, and I would just blow through work like crazy. I would just you know set up the systems to be able to crank through this to get to this to get to this to get to this. And so you know when I found that I was cranking through all the work, and then I had energy and kind of the, that little creative drive left over, you know I started poking my, my managers for, Hey, you know, is there a chance of, can I start designing t-shirts? Can I start doing this? Can I kind of take these skills that I've learned and start applying it to the work? And I started doing that. So I was, you know, one of the, the, the only guys within the department that I was in, who was uh, basically a catalog production artist that had t-shirts going to market. And then after I would get home, I'd hang out with the family dinner, you know, play with the kids, the whole nine yards, everybody goes to bed. And then I would, kick up the freelance business and I would work until whenever. So, you know, it, it was, you know, depending on the project, if I, if everybody went to bed at, you know, nine 30, 10 o'clock, I'd be up until two cranking through whatever, delivering that type thing. And what that afforded us was, you know, it gave my wife the ability to stay home with the kids and it gave us, you know, some great vacations and stuff like that. But it also kind of kept me creative almost every hour of the day. So when I was able to kind of step away from, you know, the agency world and from that, that, you know, normal W2 work, um, I was able to kind of do it all the time, which was, you know, fascinating, but then it almost became like, you know, jumping first into a, you know, feet first into a blender where you're just like, okay, it's, it's all happening at once here. Where are we going to, all right, we got to put this here and we got to put this here and we got to find time, you know, so it's just like. It's a, it's still kind of a balancing act. I, I often say that I'm kind of spinning plates on things, which is great, but uh, it's, um, it's, it's definitely, uh, it, it's, it's one of those comfort zone things that if you can get in, you can get yourself into a spot where you're like, okay, I can compartmentalize things and I can put things here and I can, I can say, okay, the phone stays downstairs from eight o'clock on and we don't touch it, you, you know, then you kind of give yourself these empty spaces that you can actually kind of you know, live your life and do things and not feel guilty about, oh, why am I not making money right now? I know there's projects to be done. So. Yeah, Brian, definitely. I think it goes a long way for your mental health. If you can separate, here's what my work life is versus here's what my family life is versus here's what my personal interests are. So um, great advice on how to make sure that you have time for yourself, time for the business, time for the family. So kudos to you on on making sure you got balance so i want to pivot real quick to something you listed in the survey so you talked about your situation as just you and your wife and your kids are grown can you talk more about the workations that you listed on the survey yeah absolutely so this is this is and again my wife's a saint. She's, she's awesome. She is like the, uh, the, the perfect balance to my kind of craziness that I, I bring out. And so she's very kind of focused on these things. And so she started kind of planning as we would go through and we would do site visits for, for events and everything like that, looking at the opportunities to, all right, well, we've got, you know, just by virtue of, of what we do on the event side of things, which is traveling a lot and doing event design, you know, for VIP parties and such, um, you know, we rack up, the, the points and stuff like that. And so she started looking this last year and being like, okay, well, we're going to go to LA for a site visit. Let's go down to Monterey and spend a couple of days. And it was great because, you know, you bring your computer with you, you sit there and you look over the Pacific and you're like, wow, this is fantastic. And then, you know, the next site visit, well, let's go to Sedona. Let's try that. 
And so it, it just starts kind of tacking on to a visit, you know, a little hop, skip and a jump to a different you know place you haven't been before that you can just kind of sit back and you know kick out the computer and be like, all right, well, I can take care of this and this and this. But at the same time, I'm going to be in a different spot where I've never been. And OK, well, this morning I'm going to step away for a couple hours and go to the Grand Canyon. You know, or I'm gonna I'm gonna go walk on the beach down in Monterey, you know, in the bay, or um, where else are we going? We're we're just kind of kicking around all kinds of stuff because we're gonna start going to Houston now for this next one because we do a lot of work with the college football playoff, and so we'll be going down there. And so it's like, all right, so do we go to the Gulf Coast or do we drive? You know, where where's some place we haven't been before? And so I think a lot of that is uh, is just kind of being open to the realization that it's like, you know, what do you actually need? What defines the office? You know, is it just the computer? Is it, you know, can you do it from the road? Can you, you know, what are the things that you need? Does your work actually improve if you're seeing new things? You know, again, going back to that whole idea of perspective, you know, if you go out and you, you see things that you haven't seen before, does that give you something? I, I know it, it does for me, it, you know, being able to go out there and see, you know, a city I've never seen before, experiences I've never seen before, and being able to kind of glean a little bit of something or seeing one thing and being like, oh, you know, I got a little place for that over here. We'll just kind of stow that one away and then, you know, kind of incorporate it in type thing. It, it keeps things um, fresh. And I think that it's a, it's a, the, the one thing that I know that <laughs> the, the pandemic showed me was, uh, you know, again, it, it becomes almost like Groundhog Day for if you're already self-employed that you basically get up, you walk downstairs, you go to the office, you work until five o'clock, you eat dinner, you watch TV, you go to bed. You know, it's, it was just like that nonstop. And so in the essence of trying to break that up, I started walking, <laughs> which became the worst thing ever because I was literally walking around in circles. You know, it's like because you're walking around your neighborhood and you're just like, OK, well, let's go the other way this time. And you're like, OK, what day is it? You know, it's like, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and being like, is it Sunday or is it Wednesday? I don't even know, you, you know, and just kind of getting mired in that same cycle. But I think that, you know getting out and being able to kind of see the new things and, and experience new things at the same time under the, the flag of work um, is kind of where that kind of idea of workcations kind of came from is, you know, what, what defines the actual workstation that you need to have in order to get the work done and can it be done from someplace else? That's a pretty a great opportunity for you and your family, you and your wife to uh, be together, spend time together, earn and, yeah. and see different things. I think it goes back to what you talked about earlier from a perspective standpoint. So um, whatever you can see and learn while you're still earning, I think that is amazing. So that is fantastic for you. So going back to the topic of workations, you talked about going to Monterey Bay, Sedona. I also heard the Gulf Coast down there in um, near Houston area. So do you have any favorite workation locations that uh, you've you've been in the past that you can share with us? Well, so early on, um, we, we got a, uh, uh, a timeshare in Maui. And so every year in May, it, it's kind of like you, it's, it's understood that the Space Monkey World headquarters shifts to the West for a week to 12 days. And so uh, that, that, that's, that was, I think, the original. That was the OG workcation was this idea of, you know, let's just literally go on island time and just, you know, stick your feet in the sand and, and you know, eh, maybe get some stuff done, maybe take a call here and there and, you know, just kind of go and, and exist somewhere else for, a, like I said, 
usually a week and a half or so. And I think that that to me is um, that that's a special place. But also, I think that's the thing that I look forward to the most is just kind of being like, okay, well, I got to go check on the uh, the Western branch of Space Monkey Designs, and we'll uh, we'll go check that out for a little while, make sure that everything's okay over there, and then we'll come back. You know, President, you got to do this from time to time. You know, got to check in on the offices. So. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Don, from the Work From Home Forever podcast. I wanted to take a quick break from the episode to talk about our sponsor, No Commute. Let's face it, you're listening to this podcast because you probably fall into two camps. You're either working from home already or you're trying to get rid of your commute. No Commute is your daily newsletter to get real remote jobs from real companies delivered to your inbox. It's the free, fast way to find remote jobs. Subscribe to No Commute for free at nocommute.substack.com. And once you land your next remote work opportunity, we'd love to have you on the podcast to tell your work from home forever story. Brian, I love Maui. Uh, My family and I went there for probably seven plus days last summer. So also has a very special place in my heart. I, I wish you guys have a lucky on the west coast it's uh, an easier trip out there uh, versus us coming from the midwest so great choice of locale for the western region there so brian you had some interesting advice where you said other work from home employees should clearly define the brand of you so i love that description can you talk more about the brand of you concept like what process did you go through to define your brand well and i think that's the thing is, is i think that that's the, the thing that you sit with when you go through your job, your nine to five or whatever it is that kind of gets you there, it's everybody has their opinion of what they like and what they don't like about work. I mean, work is one of those things that you just kind of know you have to do, right? Unless you win the lottery and then you don't have to worry about it. But um, the brand view is something that I kind of started telling, especially a lot of young designers, is if someone never meets you, and, and they come across a touch point that is you, LinkedIn, you know, a portfolio page, anything like that. In that single serving moment, what are they going to take away? What are they, what's, what's the, the, that single serving helping of you that they're going to understand? And so that's where that whole brand of you thing kind of came up is like, if I look at, at, you know, a LinkedIn page for a potential designer, I'm going to be able to get a first impression off of that. And so my first impression is going to be dictated by the things that they say, the jobs that they've had, and then how they present themselves on their page. You know, is it, you know, kind of goofy like my profile picture is, but you know what, that's me in a nutshell. So it's like, that becomes the, that that's the face of me. So if someone were to just kind of look and say, okay, Hey, Brian Capel, I want to, I want to check you out and, and go on the LinkedIn page. Then they look at that and they're like, okay, well, so he's a, he's a goofy looking guy who's got some tattoos and has some weird drawings on here. And it's like, okay, yeah, that, that's me. That, that, that is, you know, when you're buying into the, the brand of Brian Capel, there it is, that that's what it is. And so, you know, it's the establishment of, you know, when someone recommends you for another job, what are they recommending? That's the brand, right? Is that when you when you're self-employed, when you're working from home, what is the thing that someone's going to tell to somebody else as they recommend you? You know, what is the because you know recommendations are one of those things that kind of flows both ways. Where it's like, 
if I get a recommendation from you to someone else, you're showing the faith in me as someone who can do the job. But then you're also saying, you know, look at this great person that I'm bringing to you as a recommendation. So it becomes that, you know, what is that, that one word that what is, that what is that, that little elevator pitch? What is the, the catchphrase that someone says to someone else when they're recommending you as a professional, that becomes that kind of brand of you kind of approach. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for sharing and expanding on what the brand of you concept is. Again, it's something I identify with. It's something that in this world of Instagram and Facebook and influencers, there's so many people that have this perfectly manicured view of who they are. Not even a view, but that's what they project. And I like the brand of you because it helps you focus on who you are as an authentic person and again, what values drive you. And that gives me an idea of, are we gonna work well together? if someone's presenting themselves in a, in an authentic light. So thanks for that. I think so. To me, it's, I, I'm a, I'm a person who's driven by um, respect and integrity. And I think that the, the more effort that you can put into representing yourself in an authentic way, then there's no surprises. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, you're not trying to cover anything up. You're not playing into the, uh, the, um, algorithms of, of, you know, keywords and all this kind of stuff that, that kind of drive, you know, LinkedIn and everything like that. It's you're representing, okay, this is me in, in my truest form. And then yes, talk to these people and see how well I do the work that I do. You, you know, and, and that to me is, is the ultimate kind of payoff type thing it is if you can get someone who's like, okay, yeah, I see what's going on here. I, I kind of like the energy. And then being able to kind of take that next step and be like, okay, yeah, no, this is this is really good. This is this aligns with what we want to do. That's 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 lining yourself up for good stuff. Hey, Brian, great discussion. Enjoyed our conversation, and thank you for the time. Uh, before you go, I'd love to ask you to do some rapid fire questions, and wanted to see if that works for you. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Question number one: As a professional in the creative field. How do you feel about chat GPT and other advances in AI? AI is interesting. It's probably the product of way too many sci-fi movies for me that I, I don't trust it. It scares me. I'm waiting for it to become self-aware, you know, but, you know, at the same time, I also love robots. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of this weird balance and everything like that. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the next couple of years go as far as, you know, we, we've kind of turned into a content-driven society. And I think to have something that is artificial being able to kind of generate content now um, concerns me a little bit because I think that I, I've said it often that if I had Instagram and all the social media stuff when I was a young illustrator, tinker, you know, learning how to draw everything like that, I may have stepped away from it because it's like you're, you're inundated with so much good art and so much, uh, you know, all these ideas that you think that you're, you're holding on to as one of your own, but it's already been shared by seven other people. And you're like, well, I don't know that I can do that as well as they did. Um, that, that makes me, that part makes me kind of sad, just that there's, you know, the, the, the corners of the map are quickly kind of filling in and to throw the AI into it. Um, I'll be interested to see how it develops. I, you know, you've seen, or I've seen a lot, especially on the creative side of things, just you know, again, the generation of, of art through AI um, and just kind of seeing people push back on it, but then also people embrace it. 
I think it's going to be interesting within the professional world um, how it's used. Uh, I, I don't know it's going to be uh, for the better, but at the same time, I don't know how people are going to know the difference either, which is kind of disturbing as well. So it, it, I don't know. Jury's still out. Talk to me in four years and I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, good answer, Brian. Uh, I'm with you. I want to see what the end result and how AI is used, but uh, uh, I do think it is uh, a little scary. So pivoting to the topic of education, question for you, is a four-year college degree worth it? I, I, I would say wholeheartedly yes. I, I know the cost can be somewhat inhibitive, but I think that I, I honestly think that what we're going to see is a merging of the paths between a four-year degree and um, a reemergence of tradecraft. I, I, I think that the, the, the more that we get towards the digital realm, I think you're going to start seeing a return, or let, let me just say, I, I hope that there will also be a return of the analog, that I think the, the trade skills, I think, is something that is going to come back, and it's going to come back in, in full form. I, I think that, you know, again, I think there's going to be a, a threshold that's going to be crossed with, you know, for everything from AI to, to just the technology world. I think the tangible, touchable, you know, tactile world of being able to put hands on something and fix or create it, I think is going to become imperative as we go forward in the future. And I think that the people who have, you know, are either not financially able or academically able to do a, a four-year institution I think there will be an emergence of the apprenticeship again. And I think, you know, one would hope that you'll start seeing that as a, as a, a skill that, that sits up there along the lines with everything else that you can get from a four-year institution. I think colleges, four-year colleges socially are super important, but I think that if you can find that kind of, you know, let's, let's call it a, a brotherhood, sisterhood within a trade, I think that's equally as important. Because I think that at the end of the at the end of the day, both have what I think everyone is kind of striving for, which is community. And I think that's a, a super important part of us as humans. But then also, that's how we move forward, you know, through the work world and as a society. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you, Brian. Um, I know I enjoyed my time at a four year university right out of high school, but recognized that you know school is not for everyone. Um, like I said, from an academic standpoint or even from um, from a managing the cost standpoint. Uh, and what I've seen on LinkedIn and some of the other you know uh, social media out there is the positive reinforcement on the trades. I, I think that's so important to your point. There's a lot of things that AI and the digital digital world and digital improvements can can bring to us. And we also need to make sure that we focus on the people side of things and the valuable nature and the value actually that uh, the trades bring to uh, to our society. So uh, I'm supportive of that as well. Yeah, I think the the, the skill of trades and, and crafts. I, I just think that there's a I don't know. I, I think it's one of those things that that I think transcends political situations and, and economic situations and everything like that. I think the, the ability to swing a hammer, the ability to, to, you know, be an electrician, be a plumber, be a, a welder. I, I think that, that there's a, an art and a craft to it that doesn't go away, you know, even as society marches forward. So Brian, speaking of LinkedIn, I get a lot of uh, 
buzzwords and trending topics out there and one of those is uh bare minimum monday so what's your take on the latest workplace buzzword bare minimum monday yeah see <laughs> this is this is where i'll just be an old curmudgeon right because <laughs> I, I grew up in the in the the years of, of any job worth doing is worth doing right so you know there's this is where I kind of wrestle with things because this is where I know that I'm officially old, right? You know, it's like, all right, the kids are growing up. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just I think anybody of our age is is that way now, where it's just like, and I understand where it's coming from too, right? I, I would never put a label on it. I think we've become a, a society of labels on everything. You, you know, be it a, be it a pronoun, be it a, a job title, be it a what you're going to call Monday. Um, I think the the labeling of it is funny to me. Uh, I, I, I will not lie to you and say that every day that I put in an office was 100% all day long. I just didn't broadcast it. <laughs> you know, it's just like, all right, yep, I spent that time playing, you know, whatever, solitaire at my desk. But it's like I didn't go out there and call it, you know, solitaire Tuesday or whatever it was. You, you, you know, I, I think that um, – if, if you're not going to go into the, the workplace with the, the right mindset, then you might want to take a look at doing something else. Or at least that's how I kind of approach it is, you know, if, you, if you're not going to go all the way, then, then don't go. <laughs> hey, Brian, I got one last question here. If you still have time to hang on and uh, spend it with us. No, no worries. Perfect. So the topic of pension reform in France possibly increasing the retirement age has resulted in violent protests. How would you react if the government extended the retirement age similarly? I think it's tough to say. Um, I, I've been blessed in a life that, that I've been able to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do. Um, there's a lot of people who work because they have to. And, and not, not just I mean, we all work, but it, it's the bare minimum to get everything kind of going. And so I think that pushing that age out, I think makes it a little bit tougher because people who don't necessarily have the bandwidth to be able to save for retirement or be able to be in a, a place that, you know, matches, you know, all the, the 401k and everything like that, the contributions, I, I think makes it tough when you all of a sudden are now pushing the flag kind of further down the fairway type thing. And, um, I, I think it, it's it's a difficult thing to throw out to a workforce that I think is is taxed already. As far as you know, I, I think it's been better that that you know minimum wages have been reconsidered and, and you know everything down to you know unionizing Starbucks and, and things like this, where it's, it's putting a little bit of power back into the the, the worker. But I, I do think that you know it, it becomes that much more difficult to kind of sustain when you know it, it, the system changes or is fluid enough that there's not something locked on the calendar where you're just like this is what i'm working towards you know when work becomes work to exist i think it becomes very difficult to kind of justify to uh, a group of people that that's all you do is just work and so i think that you know unless there's some kind of reform that helps that golden number be like okay this is what we're shooting for this is what you know we're really kind of aiming for um i think it, it becomes a, a taxing part of the workforce you know when again you're moving the flag further back type thing 
you know, it, it's an interesting situation because, you know, I guess I'm, I'm brought back to my dad who technically retired. He, he's a scientist for the government, a hydrogeologist. And, um, but he hasn't stopped working. So, you know, for the last eight years that he's been quote unquote retired, um, they gave him emeritus status and he's still out in the field doing the science because he loves what he does. You know, unfortunately, not everybody can say that, you know, so, he, and, and he was able to, to save where he's, he's able to, to have that emeritus status, which is just a title, you know, a fancy title for a volunteer. Um, but he loves the science so much that he continues to do the work. So I, I, I would love to say in some, you know, wonderful, fanciful type world that, that everybody has that opportunity and everybody kind of has that approach to, um, to, to work itself, but that's just not the case. You, you know, it's just, you know, moving that, that ability to say, okay, well, now I'm going to retire and moving it you know, further down the road. I, I just think that it's, it's going to be, it's going to wear on the, the, the workers of the world. You know, and I think that, that the only counterpunch to something like that is a move to the four-day work week. You know, something where it's like, okay, well, we're going to move this down, but we're also going to reduce your time that's actually at the job. You know, there, there has to be a give and take. Yeah, Brian, uh, 100% agree with you. Um, I do believe there's going to be some change, uh, significant change that's going to take place here. Uh, maybe it's going to be at the tail end of my career or your career, uh, but I do see some change that's going to take place um, I, you know, I, I see folks that need to work and they are in a very elderly state. Uh, it should not have to happen that way. And uh, again, I think there needs to be some change that takes place in our society. Well, I, I think, you know, we're also contextualizing this within our American work ethic, right? Which is just kind of work yourself to the bone type thing. And I think European nations do a better job of work-life balance as far as, you know, allowable time off and everything like that. So, you know, maybe the, the, it, it lands a little bit softer there than it does here where we're looking at it going, you know, 40 hour work weeks and, Oh, it's gotta be this, it's gotta be this, you know? And so maybe it's a little bit different, but yeah, I, I, I think it, it's, it's a, there's gotta be the give and take. And I think the, the four day work week in principle, I think it is brilliant. Um, I can remember, you know, especially back in the, the manual labor days of having someone say, oh, yeah, well, I work a, a four day week where it's 10 hours. And I'm just like, where do I sign up? I mean, <laughs> it just sounded great. You, you know, it's like I'm going to work hard anyway, you, you know. But I know that my boss right now wouldn't allow a four day work week. I think we work an eight day work week right now. So uh, and that's not changing. So, <laughs> Well, Brian, thanks so much. I love this discussion. Uh, I love all the time you spent with us and your insights. So before you go, can you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Yeah, you can go to my website. www.spacemonkeydesigns, one monkey, many designs.com or uh, my LinkedIn profile. I love that. Spacemonkeydesigns.com, one monkey, many designs. That's clever. So thanks for that. And we will definitely put a link to your LinkedIn profile if people want to connect with you professionally. And again, Brian, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate everything you've uh, told us about your work from home forever story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again. All right. Bye. Take care. I am so appreciative of the time Brian spent with us on the episode. Leaving the corporate world where he had success and to go it alone takes courage and resiliency. And he certainly has those key traits. 
So here's my key takeaways from our conversation with Brian. Number one, Brian talked about how seeing the physical results helped him level set on what hard work and productivity looks like. I think that is so important. It helps you establish that link in your mind where here's what I did. I worked hard and here's the results. Here's that freshly mowed lawn. Here's that great painted wall uh, or that well swept and super clean uh, hallway. So I think it's that link that helped him establish that here's what hard work looks like and here's what uh, it continues to look like in his career today. Number two, I thought Brian and his approach to direct reports was was interesting. Uh, he talked about how he gave them trust, treated them like professionals, and coached them when expectations weren't met. I walked away thinking, you know, it's kind of a shame that Brian is a team of one because his managerial style and his approach to people are exactly what's needed in leadership across businesses today. Finally, the work vacations concept stuck with me. That's something my wife and I are striving for in the 10-year horizon. My wife will be able to retire from teaching, and I would love to be in a position to retire with her. If I'm not, I'd love to get to a place where I'm working a W-2 or working for myself, and we can ride at the beach, or we can live in a new city, or even a new country, and I can blur the lines between work and play. If you want to hear more about workations, take a listen to Erin's episode 1.4, where she talked about life from the road, where she and her husband live in her fifth-wheel RV. If you want to get a hold of Brian, we'll post a link to his website, spacemonkeydesigns.com. And we'll also link to Brian's LinkedIn profile if you prefer to follow him on that platform. Did you enjoy hearing Brian's story? We're always looking for new guests to come on the show. If you want to be on the podcast to tell your work from home forever story, please go to wfhforever.com slash tell your story. Fill out the brief survey monkey like Brian did and we'll be in touch with you. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, like and subscribe to our show, and we love reading your reviews. Thanks again for listening to the Work From Home Forever podcast. I am your host, Don, and please join us on our next episode.